they're not designed to be on 24 7 right yes the the half-life of these suckers are, are not 24 7 for 10 years right they don't expect i mean besides my 14 year old they don't expect your tv on to be on 24 hours a day hey and if your 14 year old is still in the, still in the house you know after 10 years you know i mean i know He's got he's got three years, two months, and fourteen days. He shouldn't be there long enough to burn out a display. On this episode of AV Week, the state of BYOD in the AV industry, the power of API in AV, and consumer versus commercial AV products. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. This is AV Week, episode 612, recorded Friday, May 12th, 2023. Enough to be dangerous. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, the most world-traveling, globe-trotting friend that I have, Bren Walker from Kierkegaard. Welcome, ma'am. Hey, Tim. I actually just got back from a month in France. It was fantastic. Today, I am in Cleveland, and I am in my sister's office with my buddy, Dwight Schrute. Oh, I'm not going to ask you which is better, Cleveland or, or France, because you've got your sister involved in that one. So. And it's my mom's birthday. She's 92 today. So. Oh. I got, I got here just in time. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, Mr. Garth Loban, you know him and love him. Uh, he is from Atlona. Welcome, sir. Hello. How are you doing today? Uh, and last but not least, a young man that, uh, that I've met uh, through a couple of different friends, Sule uh, Usman. Sule is from uh, Seuss Connect out of Atlanta. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much, Tim. Nice to uh, be on this and uh, meet everybody. And I did not just come back from France. I didn't either, Sule. Just, that's okay. We're, we're, we have a club. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll meet after this. Um, all right. A uh, couple things. We are eh, we're recording this on the 12th, so let's call it a month out from Infocom. And, um, yeah, it, it's a lot, so, but the 14th through the 16th, don't misunderstand. I, I run marketing for an integrator. We've got a booth. It's a lot to me. So, but y'all that are going, you're going to have a blast, uh, 14th through 16th, uh, of June. I'm going to have a blast too. So don't misunderstand that. Uh, so, so you can go by, uh, infocomshow.org. You can use Aviation as a code. You can use Atlona as a code. You can use, you know, whichever one CTI as a code. Uh, if you don't have a code, just throw it out on Twitter and somebody will get you a code. Uh, but we will see you down in Orlando the 14th through the 16th of June. Uh, first story, Audnate has announced the launch of a new API. Uh, API for my buddy Bradford. Uh, application programming interface that will enhance the interoperability and flexibility of its Dante audio networking platform. The new API will en enable developers to create custom applications that can communicate with Dante-enabled systems and devices. Uh, it also helps uh, integrate the audio networking with other technologies and workflows. Audit also achieved the AWS uh, technology partner status, which recognizes the company's commitment to providing secure and scalable audio networking solutions for the cloud. Brandon, I'm going to start with you on this. You know, how, how does this help Audinate help 
the the users help the folks that are that are using this on the, on the on a daily basis and then how how does it help the the dealers as well well i think the biggest thing that it does is it just broadens the footprint for audinate and it opens up i love apis um and i think that they are the fastest way to get people who are quote non-coders into situations where they can code or at least use things that would be done as a part of coding. So it widens everything. I mean, I was recently on my trip, I went to uh, Namur, um, Brus um, Belgium, and met with an engineer there. And I bet that we're gonna end up using some part of this to have him do a remote recording session with one of my clients oh, in wow. the US, right? Because it helped, we're gonna be able to put all those stems in the cloud. Um, so I'm, I'm counting on it being great. Um, I think it just, it further solidifies uh, Dante as a, as a standard. Um, and it, it, to me, it's such a, it's a brilliant move. Um, I was once on a, on a uh, consultant steering committee call with a certain manufacturer who was trying to decide whether or not to do an API or to let others build um, their own things. And uh, another of the consultants talked them out of the API. I thought it was a tragic mistake because APIs, um, you know, it, it's they're just a, they're a shortcut to getting people up and going and they spark innovation. Once once people yeah. can see what they, what's available to them from it, um, it just makes things broader and blossom. So I like it a lot and I think it helps everybody. Of course, there are going to be the issues, but you work out the issues. Not a big deal. Garth, from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, you, you, well, you guys have the back end code. So, you know, how does this help, you know, at Lona, but also how does it help the, the, the users as well? Well, I'll echo Bren's statements because they're, it's important for manufacturers to open up their APIs so that more people adopt these technologies. And what's smart about this with Audinate and their footprint in live audio and getting more and more into Dante video, this allows people to better control not just where the audio goes, but where the video goes and ultimately a control system that would allow that to happen. Now in the press release, they mentioned that Crestron also has this uh, API, which is smart for them because it allows them Crestron to control not just the AV in the room, but also to control where the audio and video goes throughout the room using Dante. For us on our side, we have an API available for our AV over IP system so that people get in and control it easily if they're not using our velocity control system. And then with Dante's API now open, we can look at that and we can look at ways that we can incorporate more Dante capability within our velocity control system. So as Bren says, it's just a smart move because you can still have your proprietary products, your proprietary technologies, but opening it up so that these systems can be more inclusive of multiple manufacturers to meet the customer's needs, that's really what we need to do. Bren, I want to ask one, one follow-up to here. Um, had a conversation with my buddy, Steve Greenblatt. Uh, Steve, if you don't know, uh, is, uh, is the guy who owns and runs uh, Control Concepts. And uh, he also hosts our, our State of Control pod podcast here on AV Nation. He and I had a conversation along with um, uh, Brittany uh, DeCessory from his office about kind of their, their push into, into Infocom, like why, why they're going. They don't have a booth, but they're, they're certainly going and meeting with folks like, like Garth, right? And really quickly, Steve is 30 years ago, um, Steve was a Crestron programmer. That's what that's how he got started in the industry, right? Um, 
And his company has evolved the last couple of years into creating sometimes some of these APIs or interfacing with some of these APIs. He made a statement though, he said, you know, these APIs help the industry evolve and push into that IT centric part, you know, it, it helps us evolve more into the IT-ness of, of, you know, the customers. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And it's because it's about moving away from the local insta installation or the local instance, right? And an, a the, an API with uh, connected with the cloud server basically takes you away from just what's happening with your local instance. And, you know, this yeah. is a part, this is the next part of AV moving from, you know, hardware to software codecs, you know, it's, this is just the next evolution of it. So I agree completely. And eventually we'll stop thinking about it being a separate sort of thing about it being IT, right? And that it's just a part of how technology overall works, whether it's quote unquote information technology or media technology, it's everything is, is going to interface with the cloud is going to need to have wide wide area and wide adoption. Um, now, there could be, when you have this sort of global potential for global impact, um, the, the threats in the marketplace will start to come from different places, right? Yeah. Because there will be someone somewhere who will see what they can do with the API and they might all of a sudden start nibbling at somebody's lunch. So I would just say that anybody who's an established player has to be aware that this is going to make it easier for people who are not players yet to come into their domain. But, you know, overall for the customer, that's a good thing because competition's a good thing. So, but yes, he's right. Got to meet him. I don't think I've met Steve. You should connect us if he's yeah. going to be at Infocom. He will be, and I and I will do that um, certainly. Uh, just not right now because my computer is somewhere. Oh, I don't know where my computer is. Um, Mitchell has my computer. I'm certain. Uh, <laughs> next story uh, comes to us uh, actually from AV Magazine, uh, discussing the importance of using commercial grade products in professional AV projects. The author argues that while it may be tempting to use consumer grade products in order to save costs, doing so can lead to a host of problems such as increased downtime poor performance and reduced lifespan of the equipment. Post goes on to explore some of the key differences between commercial grade and consumer grade products, such as build quality, reliability, and warranty support. Ultimately, the author concludes that using commercial grade products is essential for ensuring the success of professional AV product projects and that investing in higher quality equipment will pay dividends in the long run. So there, there's a couple things with here, and I, I told the, the, the group this story uh, beforehand really quickly had a job here in St. Louis, a uh, customer came to us and we were doing a video wall, like, oh, hey, I can get the same relatively sized display for a tenth of what you want to charge us. We're just going to go to that direction. And like, okay, that's fine. And then a year later, we're replacing it. Um, there's a couple things with that. Number one, I, I'm an old failed pro programmer. You don't have RS-232, and this is a long time ago, kids. You didn't have RS-232 in those, in those consumer products. Number two, they're not designed to be on 24-7, right? The, the half-life of these suckers are, are not 24-7 for 10 years, right? They don't expect, I mean, besides my 14-year-old, they don't expect your TV on to be on 24 hours a day. Hey, and if your 14-year-old is still in the house, 
you know, after 10 years, you know, I mean, I know certain things going on with the, that generation, but, you know, got to give him the boot, baby. He won't be. <laughs> he's got he's got three years, two months and 14 days. <laughs> he shouldn't be there long enough to burn out a display. All right, Suli, uh, help me out on here. How, how do we get how do we get the users? How do we get the, 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 the end customers to understand this balance between the consumer grade and the cons commercial grade? You know, unfortunately, I think that we're looking at a couple of different things. One is the uh, status of the actual consumer, right? I think the larger the company, when they start talking about, uh, hey, uh, we can get something cheaper going on the consumer side, that's when you start questioning, really, you don't have the money to kind of handle, uh, uh, you know, equipment that's actually going to get the job done for you. But then when you look at the smaller companies, you bring in a few other factors, right? Uh, maybe budget is is of concern to them. They certainly don't understand about the longevity of the equipment, the fact that it's 24-7, 356 uh, can stay on that long. They probably don't care. My experience on the, uh, mostly on the live AV side, I've run into that with uh, hotels since I was, uh, I was in charge of hotels where, you know, we very much got that kind of um, uh, a response, which is, well, we're just going to go get the consumer version of this. I think that when it comes to trying to convince customers, you really have to go through those steps. And I don't know, I don't know that you're going to be able to, con to convince them if their funds are not there or if they feel that they, they're not going to keep that device on, you know, 24-7, 365, or if they just feel that um, it's not worth it uh, overall to just have that device in there, maybe because th they've got the stigma that because it's professional grade, it's going to cost twice as much or three times or four times as much. You know, all yeah. of those things play a part. So um, I, I think that I think that it's just your regular sales job that you have to go through. Still, I want to ask a, a follow up here before we, we, we get further. You, you mentioned something there that's very important. That's the funds aren't there, right? The budget isn't there. Is how, how do you get to the, the total cost of ownership, which is a phrase that I learned very early on, but I loved it and I, I, I held on to it. How do you get to that conversation? Because as I mentioned in my story, a year later, we're already replacing these suckers, right? Whereas had they purchased the consumer, the, the commercial grade, they wouldn't have been. How do you get to that TCO? I think a really good way to do that would be almost like a case study kind of approach, right? Where you can tell them, look, uh, this was what we went through with the previous customer purchasing a consumer grade as much as we advise them not to this was what we went through and let me just break that down for you with in in terms of what you're sp what you're spending up front versus yep. what you're going to end up spending after the fact if if you're looking at a disposable uh 12 months from now or maybe 24 months from now then sure go through that but if it's not the disposable that you want and you want that long-term uh, uh, efficiency from a product, it's really in your best interest to pay the little bit more that's going to end up giving you that value for money. I can tell you, Tim, that the way that we do it, the, the thing that I found the most motivating has been warranty. 
right? And, mm. and tying warranty to that conversation about the, the lifetime cost. Um, and the other thing is, as a designer, it's I feel it's our responsibility to say, okay, we know you've got this budget. And you want to, you actually have, you know, maybe your budget is 900K, but you've got 1.4K in wishes and desires. So 1.4 million. So let's talk about getting, prioritizing where, what, where are we going to put that money so that the thing that you least will want to have to change is not impacted by trying to go for low budget projects, products, because if, if they even have a little bit of knowledge, it's enough to be dangerous and they are going to go and go on the web and go to, you know, Amazon or Sweetwater or whatever, and they're going to find these devices. I mean, I've had this happen on recently on a project where the, the, the venue side of the house, we were able to maintain everything at professional grade. And then on the administrative side of the facility, conferencing offices, things like that. They went to some consumer grade products, but it's all stuff that they themselves can take out and replace, right? So they've swapped some things that had metal and now they have plastic. And I'm like, just so you know what you're doing, you know, that that plastic is more likely to wear out sooner. You be aware of what you're doing and make it something that you can service yourself um, so that you don't end up at least paying in the in installation costs if you can help it. But to me, it's got to be an early conversation around prioritization. So that that installation cost is one, is one of those hidden I say hidden costs that not like like dealers do it you know uh, nefariously, but but that is a hidden cost when you start talking about oh we can just replace it in a year. Yeah, that's fine because you're going to pay X, but you're also going to pay X if you're not able like like Bryn says uh, to do it yourself. Garth, uh, you wrap this one up for us. You know, you know, contrast here. You know, consumer versus commercial, and, and and the the cost benefit analysis here. You know, I do it in two ways. To Bren's point, there are consumer grade and professional grade monitors. Look at the Sony Bravia line. The Sony mm -hmm. Bravia that you pick up at a white goods store or a Costco. It may have IP control and it may have a one year warranty. But a Sony Bravia, also same size, say a seventy five inch. You look at its manual it will tell you that it's designed for 24-7 use. It's designed with a three-year warranty. The breakdown right there is the cost to the customer or their future cost. You can buy this inexpensive monitor and save money today, or you can buy the more expensive one and keep it running for a long period of time. And all of this, including Soleil's uh, uh, discussion of, of experience, reminds me of a friend of mine, fellow by the name of R. Bob Adams. I know he's known in the industry. He once told me that he would work with houses of worship looking to put a system in. And they would buy three systems. The one they could afford, the one that fixes the one that they could afford, and then the one that they ultimately bought that solved the original need. And this goes to Sole's point of references, right? He says case studies. I would also say references because people like to talk to people who are in their similar situations. Yeah. So getting your group of references together, madam or Mr. Integrator, people who are friendly with you and people that you've worked with that can share these stories to the concerned customer. Well, why should I spend this money? Well, talk to my customer here. He's gone through what you've gone through. And that might be able to tie a ribbon around that why professional versus consumer. Yeah, uh, that's a good word there. 
Uh, last story here comes to us uh, from our website, actually. LG announced their latest range of business solution monitors, which offers IT professionals expanded flexibility. Some of the key features of the new monitors, such as enhanced connectivity options, ergonomic designs, and advanced display technologies that provide high quality of visuals and reduce eye, eye strain. Also, these uh, monitors are super thin. You can take them and, and post them pretty much anywhere. Not quite with a sticky note, but it's really close. Um, this led me down a, a kind of a BYOD, and, and you know, Garth, I'm going to start with you on this. We were already in a B, B, bring your own device, BYOD mode mm -hmm. before COVID, right? Yes. COVID happened. Everybody is, is, is there health concerns here? And certainly, you know, you don't want to share uh, surfaces or, or devices that other people have touched possibly because you don't know where they've been. Mm -hmm. So where are we at today, Garth, when it comes to BYOD in the industry? Well, it's interesting. It's still with us, but in a more interesting way. Before it was a bring your own device, which by association, bring your own meeting, bring your own codec. How do you yeah. wish to meet? And Today, we have a situation in which many of us have gotten used to not having to be in an office, so we go into the office less frequently. Mm -hmm. We also go into the office with that device that's going to hold the meeting. So what we're seeing and what I think they're playing at here, LG, is this concept of hoteling. Since we don't have physical offices as much anymore, they're still there, but we don't always live there. Maybe we're temporarily working in a room or going to a, a WeWork, this sort of thing. What LG is doing with these kinds of monitors is they're devising monitors that will work in these increasingly smaller spaces when there are one. For example, the first monitor in there is a 27-inch monitor, which you said you could basically put that on your cubicle wall. Yeah. Think about the shrinking of the workspaces that we have if we even have a workspace. So being able to place that relatively flat monitor onto a wall with a USB-C connection, which will also power up to 65 watts anyway, your laptop, you can get to work a lot quicker. And the, uh, there's a little plug-in on the top on one of their designs that it has the little web camera on there. But where we are today is that, you know, these small meeting spaces seem to be getting smaller and people want to come in and just start to connect and meet. So that's where they're coming in with these very unique monitors. The other one that they have is basically a stacked monitor display. It's called a two-up. With yeah. a single display, you basically have two 27-inch monitors, so to speak, kind of stacked on top of each other. Again, think of a small space, no desk space at all, perhaps, in these little portable cubicles that they're showing it being used in. And so for these data hounds that have got maybe a quad screen in front of them, this could replace one of them and get a second one side by side. Two monitors, you got much bigger tableau to work with as far as your data that you're spreading across. I think it's rather unique what they're trying to do here, but it's just meeting a need of smaller, smaller, you know, meeting spaces when you even go in to have one. So it's interesting. I, I've been doing some some research on both from both Gartner and and CBRE, CBRE's big ginormous uh, retail uh, or commercial re real estate company. What Garth was just talking about is 100% true. The, the, the space per employee is shrinking as uh, various leases are coming up and, and folks aren't renewing. And so the, these management companies are looking at ways to reduce right the overall cost, but also reduce the overall space. Bren, you, you've probably got a, you know, more, more uh, experience with, with that very thing and, and looking at you know, cost per employee and space per employee. So, so where are we hitting here with BYOD? Well, it's funny. I was thinking about just how, just now, how I want one of those. Like, 
You know, for I, I haven't been back. We have three offices. I haven't been in one of our offices since 2019. Uh, you know, yes, but you have a very lovely office in St. Louis. <laughs> I, I want to point out. I know, and I haven't even been in it. So, I'm as someone, saying, yeah, it, someone who travels, it, it's oh, and trying to, you know, as you speak about the data hounds, if you do design, you know, try to look at drawings on a 14-inch laptop screen and really try to conduct a meeting that way and see all the participants and everything else. So, I think it's um, the more, the more, the better. Um, the, you know, the one thing that I thought about as I read that article is um, how little I needed my uh, my power converter when I was in Europe because of all the devices that I could charge via USB-C and how That's that huge. is is even more revolutionary than what is happening with these monitors, because it really does make the world flat. Right. And it just. Yeah. It, before it's like you're carrying all these different things and I'm like, no, I have one. And then I've got a USB-C cable that I'm plugging in in Luxembourg and in Belgium and in France and wherever. So I love it all. So that, that reminds me, my, my uh, a dear friend, Joe Cornwall, who just recently retired from, from LeGrand. He was the first person I ever met that was, oh my gosh, so gung-ho about USB-C for exactly that reason, Bren. Right. Uh, and he, he, he preached the, the wonders of USB-C for years until he retired here recently. And, and he probably still is, you know, bothering people in, in Southern Florida for that. Uh, Sule, we'll, we'll let you kind of wrap this one up. What's, what, is the, what is the present state of BYOD uh, in, the, in the corporate space? You know, when I look at that and I compare it to uh, this, this product, I mean, I don't think I don't think that we're going down the wrong road. I don't think you can go wrong with uh, BYOD. I, I think that, that that you can't not uh, uh, wrangle it. I guess uh, because of the security factor of uh, you know uh, uh, IT departments are very concerned about people bringing their own devices and and plugging in wherever they want to you know wherever they want to plug in. Um, you've got uh, USB cables that or, or rather outlets that are that you're being told now in the, in airports and and hotel lounges that you shouldn't plug into those because uh, you can get um, uh, you know nefarious uh, uh, downloads through that. I think that from the corporate standpoint it's going to continue. You're going to continue getting uh, uh, BYOD. You have to embrace it. Um, and the fact that you're getting uh, products like this that you can literally hang on your cubicle, um, I think it's a good thing. I think what corporate needs to do, though, is they need to look at um, how they can make the cabling much more pretty, right? So you can hang that on the cubicle, but then you're going to have all these cables again coming, you know, all over the place. So there's some aesthetics that will have to be involved unless they end up doing something that's uh, wireless, I guess. But uh, I, I don't think you can you can stop the BYOD trend uh, in corporate. And, you know, I think further to that point, over time, it actually will be better for IT because the biggest stumbling block for users is always interface. How do I do X? So if they're using a device that they're familiar with, they yes. will need you less. That's not a bad thing, I don't think. That's not a bad yeah. thing. 
All right, that's a good place to stop. Bren Walker from Kierkegaard. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, how do people connect with you? Bren at Kierkegaard.com or Brenda J. Walker on LinkedIn. And I just want to say that this Infocom will be my first Infocom uh, as an Avixa board member. And I want to hear from people out there. Please approach me and tell me what you like or do not like. Okay, I really want to hear from folks. We, I think that we as a board and as an organization have to do um, a good job of reaching out to our member, member companies and indiv individual members and making sure we're serving you the way you want to be served. So look for me at Infocom, come talk to me, tell me anything that you've been, that's been grinding your gears. I want to hear about it. All right, very good. Mr. Loban, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you or Atlona? Well, you can reach me at garth.loban at atlona.com. And keeping the Infocom theme moving, we are going to be at stand 4471. We're celebrating our 20th year in business, so we'll have a couple of happy hours in the first two nights. And if you are looking for a passcode, as Tim mentioned at the top of the hour, you can use ATL175, get yourself a free floor pass, and I'll see you at the show. Drinks on guard. Very nice. Uh, Sunlight, very nice to meet you, sir. Uh, virtually, at least. Uh, how do people connect with you uh, or Seuss Connect? They can reach me on my email, Suley, S-U-L-E-Y, at SeussConnect.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Suley Usman. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Sule Usman uh, at LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Um, I'm also at Infocom. Yay, all, all of us going to Infocom. Uh, I am conducting a, uh, a session. I'm uh, uh, presenting a session on recruiting and hiring and uh, changing the, uh, we're looking at reframing uh, the approach to recruiting and hiring in the audiovisual industry. That is yeah. taking place on Tuesday the 13th at 1.30 p.m. I don't have the room number in my head, I'm sorry, but if uh, you're interested in that, please attend because it really is about reframing. I'm not going to follow the usual pattern of you know just talking about how to recruit or hire. It is about reframing. It's totally about saying, this was the way we used to do things. You now have to kind of step up. You got to take AI yeah. into consideration and do a whole bunch of things. So love to see you there. We should be talking about that, man. We 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 could talk about that. Let me tell you. I was going to say we we have a half an hour program. We can keep recording though for Mitchell. Uh, <laughs> to to find Sule's uh, session, go and 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 look for it when you when you register. You can register for right there and, and check him out on Tuesday. Um, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Uh, I'm still a Bears fan, and that's all I'm going to say about that right now. Uh, but go by the website, if you would, please, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others, including uh, our previews for Infocom. Those by the time this post, those will have started to post because Mitchell has been working his fingers to the bone, and those will be ready to rock and roll. Uh, we will be heading there. Uh, if you want to use Garth's code, that's fantastic. If you want to use Aviation's code, that's also fantastic. Uh, I mentioned my day job. I run marketing for CTI out of St. Louis. We have a booth, 4101. Uh, you can come by there, and you can win some money. I'm just going to put it like that. So if yes. you're an end user, Bren, you're not, you're not, you're not uh, eligible. Cash and oh. drinks. This is going to be a great show. <laughs> and you haven't been back to St. Louis either, Bren. Bren. So, <laughs> fair, um, fair. Fair. You know what? I promise you that I will get to St. Louis before the Bears get to the Super Bowl. Whoa! Oh! Oh! oh. 
which will happen right after the Browns get to the Super Bowl. All right. Even Dwight is crying for the Bears and the Browns. All right. Uh, but yeah, go by our website, <laughs> avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. Thank you.